You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. I love that song. Um, There are a lot of things in there that are encouragements. To, to those of us who believe because um, it is our job, it is our responsibility as followers of Him to proclaim. Um, uh, let me give you one quick announcement before we get too far into this, otherwise I will forget it or I will drop this post-it note for the seventh time this morning. Um, if you have a, a child that's in children's church right now, um, Pastor Isaiah said that he is going to bring the children up to the fellowship hall um, back there where the missions displays are. He will bring them up there so you don't have to chase them down into the lower building. So just meet them back there um, at the end of the service. Done. Got it? All right. So far, so good. Um, Have you noticed that we live in a world with trust issues? Yeah, it's kind of a given, isn't it? I mean, even even if you if you watched any kind of football yesterday, and I, some of you are football fans, some of you are not, some of you could care less, but if you watched any of it, you realize that we have trust issues, and those trust issues even end up on the football field. I mean, for for instance, somebody could make a play, a referee can make a call, and then we have this issue: Do we trust what the referee said? So we've develop this instant replay, and then we go to that, and then we still question that, whether that's a good thing, and so maybe we ought to have double instant replay. It's a trust issue, isn't it? We don't trust those guys in the stripes on the initial call. We want more. We want something else, and I would say that that's probably also true in other places, you know, you, you watch a TV commercial and there's this claim that it does this, and you're like, really? Does it really do that? Does it really grow hair? If I get that on my hands, am I going to, you know, what's going to happen? And so we, we have these, these issues that we question and we're skeptical of certain things in our society and in our life. And it's no wonder we, we kind of live where we've, We've been around failure. We've been around those places where somebody has said something and it didn't come true, so we have this real skeptical view if anything is true. And we allow it to invade our lives, and we can even allow it to invade our life with regards to Christ. Because we say, we look at the Bible and we look at the truth in there, and we say, oh yeah, I believe this is true. However... We throw a a however in there or a but on there because when it comes down to it, do we really trust what is in here? Really. Because if we did, then we would follow this all the way through and we would say, you know, God, whatever you ask, knowing that your word says you have what's best in mind for us, then I will pursue that. I will go there. But because we kind of live in this world of skepticism, we look at Scripture and we say, I get it, it's supposed to be true, but I have this question about that. 
Therefore, I will not do whatever. God, I'm going to do whatever I think at the end of the day is fits in with what you want, but actually fits into my safe system where I'm okay, where I deem my best interest in mind. And so when we look at a passage like we're going to this morning, sure, skepticism was part of this guy who wrote this. It was part of his life because of where he grew up and how he grew up. If you'll turn to the book of Jude, yeah, Jude, and don't you just want to sing right there? Those of you old enough, you remember that? Yeah, Bobby, you want to start it? Okay, just, just checking. Yeah, um, the book of Jude. Jude was, was written, and, and there's some things right at the beginning that ought to catch our attention. Because Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. He was the brother of James. And if you remember Jesus' ministry and some of the things that happened during his ministry, you realize that not everyone in Jesus' family bought into the idea that Jesus was who he said he was. Now, there were some question marks surrounding the life of Jesus. And even among his brothers, I mean, he lived in a house with them. And, you know, we've talked about this before. You, you can imagine living in a house with Jesus and, and you being a half-brother or a brother to Jesus or a sister to Jesus, and, you, and mom looks at you and goes, why can't you be more like you may have had that in your house, and, and, it, and I would imagine it was just kind of magnified there. So, so they, they didn't really ascribe to this whole idea that Jesus was who He said He was. But we get to this letter that, that is written, and it's a whole different perspective. So somewhere in here, in the life of Jude, his perspective changes. And so he writes this, he said, in verse 1, it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. It's really interesting he starts there. Because what, what he's saying is something vastly different from, hey, this is my bro. It's vastly different from that. He's saying, I'm brother of James, however, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, I've, I've never in my, in my life, my brother is 55 years old, never in my life have I said, I am a bondservant of Jim. And neither has he. He hasn't said, I'm a bondservant of Bob. You know, it's not happened. And I don't know that it's ever happened in the life of any family. But this one. Jude says, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ, which means he is willing to submit to the authority of Christ, but he also recognizes an indebtedness to Christ. Because apart from Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. So understand that, that Jude, like, like James and everyone else in the world, apart from Jesus Christ, we're destined to go to hell. We are subject to the penalty of our sin. And Jude recognizes that if I trust Jesus, if I trust that one that was considered my half-brother, if I trust Him for my salvation, then I will be okay. That I will have a relationship with God. And so Jude starts out, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. 
May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. And then we read some interesting things here as Jude begins this letter. In verse 3 it says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, so you understand what his original purpose was, was to write about salvation. Just a, he was writing to the brethren and saying, hey, we have something in common. And so as much as you and I would have different interests or different ways of doing things, you may hit your snooze alarm once, I'll hit it three times. You know, whatever it happens to be, we live differently. As much as we have those things that are different as, as individuals, there is a common salvation if we've trusted Christ. And that is what Jude is beginning to talk about is is that I want to write to you about our common salvation. I want to write to you about the thing that we have most in common is our citizenship in heaven because of Jesus Christ. But then Jude makes this turn. He says, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. Then I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that, uh, or to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. So, so Jude is writing this, going to write this letter, and as he's beginning to state this, this idea of common salvation, he makes an abrupt turn. And he makes a statement that, as, as we think about statements um, of what Jesus may have said, it would be in that, truly, truly, I say to you, or he his ears, let him hear, what Jude is writing is he's writing out of that conviction and that constraint that says, I must share this. I've got to tell you. It, it was something that actually would bring about a distress on him. I've got to tell you this. He says, so I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. That word contend means to contest. It means to be in some kind of battle with an adversary. But, but Jude puts it in this realm of for the faith. I want you to contend for the faith. So what in the world does that mean? And, and as we look at this, uh, you could put it in these terms. What Jude is encouraging us to be is spiritually or spiritual battlers. He wants us to battle for the faith that was common. That What he was right, going to start to write about a common faith, he's wanting us to battle for it. Because he's understanding that there are things that are going to affect that common faith that will mess with our walk with Christ. So he asked, the, essentially he's asking this question of those that are receiving this, this letter, this, this writing. He's asking, are you in the game? That's the, first, that's the first question. Are you in the game? Because you cannot contend from the side. I watched the football yesterday. And as much as I wanted to jump in, and I know there was even a, a sideline foul where somebody was in the way, as much as I may want to jump into that game, only 42 inches in front of me kept me from jumping in the game. It would have been really awkward if I had tried to make a tackle from my living room couch through the TV. Deb wasn't home yesterday, we'd have had a talk. And it probably wouldn't have been good for me. 
You know, if I want to get in the game and contend, then I've got to be where the action is. I can't look at it from a distance. And so I've got these three boxes up here, and I want to use them to describe three different scenarios for us because they're going to represent something. The, the first one, the bigger box, is, is those that are in the game, those that are part of it. The, the second biggest box, this one right here on the bottom, and you guys probably can't see that, so we're going to... The second biggest box is the box that I'm around. I'm just around. The third box we're going to talk about in just a minute because Jude addresses the third box in the, in the middle section of his letter. And so these three boxes... This, this representing all in. I'm all in the game. This representing uh, marginally, I'm medium, mediumly evol- involved in what's going on. And that's not even a word, but I'm somewhere in the middle. And the third box we'll deal with because Jude deals with them. So where does contending take place? Where does it take place? The first, first one, and it's really easy. Where do you contend for the faith? Easy. The first piece of this we understand is outside the walls of the church, outside the body of Christ. We can contend for the faith there. So when you go to your job or anywhere else, you contend for the faith in that spot by just being a witness to those around you. When we talk about missions and going someplace, you go to Montreal with La Chapelle. That's one of the options back on the table in the fellowship hall. You go there, you're going to run across people that have no relationship to God. If you go to New York or you go to Haiti or one of the other places, any of those, you're going to run into people that do not have a relationship with church. Contending for the faith outside the church is pretty easy to understand, and we understand that there is a lot of pushback from outside the church. Just our the social aspect of of what people think about church at this point, rather than being the center of society, they kind of pushed the church to the fringes of society. So outside the church is pretty easy, but the second one is different. second one is inside the church. So we contend for the faith inside the church. Well, what do you mean? Everybody in here is on the same page, right? Not according to Jude. We have to realize that why, why would we think that what Jude addresses in this book would be different here than it was in any other church that Jude may have written this to? So I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to throw this out and say, oh, Jude, you, hey, Jude, you just don't understand. You don't understand here. And every church could say that, say, Jude, you don't understand here. But I think Jude is bringing this out so that, so that we are careful. So inside the church, verse 4, it says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That's a big statement. Jude is not done developing that in this. 
But that whole idea of there are some that have crept in, and the word actually means to come in by stealth mode. It's stealthily is the way it was described in the concordance. It essentially means to have a quiet presence. And so what Jude writes, certain persons have come in or stealthed their way in unnoticed those who were marked out beforehand for destruction. And they ignore the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting how, Paul, how Jude develops this through these, this passage. And be, for the sake of time, we're not going to go into a lot of it, but there are some things that we need to understand about that. Verse 12, this is what it says, These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Can Jude get any more clear about what this picture looks like? Dead, messed up, but there and relatively unnoticed. You see, the, the box that you notice the least is the small box. In the midst of all the rest of it, this can fade. And yet this is where Jude spends the majority of his letter is addressing what this box looks like. There is a care that must be taken. And look at in, in verse 12, basically says that they've come in and they feast with you without fear. Why would they do that without fear? Because they're unnoticed. They're not blatant. They're not wearing a shirt that says, I'm here to destroy your church. Or I'm here being a problem. They're not wearing shirts like that. What Jude is saying is they've gone unnoticed and yet creating issues. And he gives this description that's, that's kind of crazy. Without fear, essentially, they, they are ones that seek after themselves. They're selfish. Spiritually dead, verse 16, says they are grumblers, finding fault, falling after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Now, I'm not going to ask you to look around and pinpoint folks, okay? So don't, don't think we're even going there. But what I'm saying is, as we start looking at this and understanding what Jude's writing about, there is a degree at which we must contend for the faith within the walls of the church. It's not just outside. Lest we forget that Satan wants to destroy every body that claims the name of Christ. Seventeen, verse 17 says, But you, beloved. And so Jude again, make, again makes this turn. But Jude has been very descriptive about guarding that which is in the church. 
for the sake of Christ. And it really means that those that are in the church must pay attention. So we could be all in and lose sight of this, and, and yet we still have this that we, we must pay attention. We cannot allow this to drive what this should be doing. Shouldn't let the little box drive what the big boxes are supposed to be doing in Christ. So verse 17 says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. The easiest way to put that is there will be in the last times those that drift to the sinful. They are essentially hostage takers for gain. And so what, what Jude writes is that remember in the last time there will be mockers. Well, when is the last time? Well, at the time that this was written, they thought they were in the last times. And yet that last time seems to have seem to have been extended, and we say the same thing now. Do you expect Jesus' return soon? Do you? If you do, then, then you would have that idea that it's closer. And essentially, it is closer now than it was then. You know, I, it would not surprise me if Jesus came back within our lifetime. Not surprising at all. And so we could see the same thing. In the last time, there will be mockers. Essentially, there will be those that scoff, that make fun of following Christ. That, that say, yeah, I can follow Christ, but I don't have to be all in. I can be part in. And it'd be okay. There is never a call to follow Christ that means part of your life for Him. It's an all-in situation. And so what Jude writes, in the last time there will be mockers, there will be those that say, it's really not just that important that I be all-in. It'd be okay if I'm just partway in. It says, these are the ones who cause division. Verse 19, these are the ones who cause division, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. A church cannot exist well if folks are not all in. A church cannot exist well if our minds are set on the things that are present instead of godly things, instead of things of God and of the Spirit. So there will be those that will be drifters to the, to the sinful Verse 20, and it's again this phrase, but you beloved. Verse 20 says, but you beloved, building yourselves up on a most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. The second piece of this is, uh, is but you beloved, this idea uh, to be a builder of faith. To be in a place where you're growing in your relationship to God. And it's growing in a holiness. Building yourselves up on a most 
holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. How in the world can you stay holy on your own? It does not happen. Holiness comes as we are submitted to the Holy Spirit and we allow Him to work in our lives. You can't clean yourself up on your own and and expect it to last and expect it to be godly. Cleaning up is is the responsibility of God as He works on us and molds us and makes us into who He wants us to be. So there are builders of faith, and it's that idea of connecting with God through prayer, connecting with God and growing. And so I want to get to this this last section. Verse 22. Because as we wait for God, as we are in these last times, as as we are careful to consider the commitment of being all in, as we watch out for those that would subvert the plan of God, and we contend for, the faith, contend for the faith both inside and outside the church, there are some applications. Three applications, starting in verse 22. It says, And have mercy on some who are doubting. Let me ask a question. Have any of you ever doubted or had faith issues? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right, that's a lot. That's a lot of you. And I want to tell you that I am right there with you. I don't always wake up feeling saved. There are days that are just nasty. And and Satan can mess with me. I can wake up and be discouraged and be frustrated, and be mad, and have all the other emotions that go with that. And so, there is a point at which, in verse 22, have mercy on some who are doubting that I, like you, may, may struggle with some faith issues. I told you before that there's, there's pieces of this book that are hard. They're hard to do, but they're also hard to understand. And I'm not saying that, that I give up on God on a regular basis. I come back. He draws me back. But there are days that are just hard. And what I need is to be in a community that where the community surrounds and I have folks that have the compassion to understand that I'm not always on top of the hill. And that's where community comes in to surround, surround me and surround you with that that influence that says, God is true, God is faithful, He is just, and He loves you, and He cares about you. He said, man, you may think that just because I stand up here on Sunday morning that I've got all this figured out. i got news for you. Now, I'm going to tell you that this word is true. You can rely on it wholeheartedly. Don't forget that. And there was a time in my life where I came to the realization that I needed Jesus Christ in my life. That didn't make all the doubts go away, all the issues of life go away. If I stop paying my mortgage, my salvation does not take care of that. I still have to write a check or pay online or however you want to do it. 
there's still issues in life. What Jude is writing here is, is he's saying, those of you that are part of the body of Christ in a common salvation have mercy on some who are doubting, which kind of says we ought to have mercy on those in this room that are struggling with their faith on occasion. That word mercy is the word compassion. And so if you want to be a contender of the faith, part of being a contender of the faith is having mercy or compassion on those that are struggling with their faith. That's the first action piece. The second one is to have mercy on the distant. Not just the doubters, but the distant. Look at, look at verse 23. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. Well, that's a picture, isn't it? So there are some that are going to be destroyed if they are not part of that common salvation that Jude starts out writing about. And so our job is to step in. And you go, well, it says save some. Save, save some. Is that our job? Be careful how we read that. Because you don't have the ability to save. Only God has the ability to save. Our job is to go to somebody that we see headed for the destruction apart from Christ and to share with them the gospel that says you can be saved. I think Jude just kind of shortens this and says, as we are relying on Christ, you go to those that don't have a relationship with Him and share about Him with a passion and, and just with the same passion that I had to write to you about these things, you go to them with this distressed on the inside idea of I must share Christ. So save others snatching them out of the fire. It's, it's that idea of reaching in to a dangerous place and sharing with them the good news, how they can get out of the penalty of sin and understand the forgiveness of Christ. Third thing. Uh, i tell you what, let, let me read something to you out of Ephesians before we leave, have mercy on the distant. Um, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 says this, for we are His workmanship, and you've heard this verse before, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore remember that formerly you were, you, the Gentiles in flesh, you are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Okay, you can read that, spend a minute there, but not long. Because you get to verse 12, it says, Remember that you were at the time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then this verse, which has become one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Every one of us, who claim the name of Christ, have been brought near to Him by His blood. And so we have a testimony to share, and when it says save others, it means 
take what you know as somebody who's been brought near and share it. Third thing, not just have mercy on doubters and mercy on the distant, but have mercy on the dabblers. It says in verse 23, And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. It's interesting that Jude adds this phrase to have mercy with fear. Is there a degree at which we need to be afraid of those that live in sin? I don't know that it's be afraid of those that live in sin. I think it's us being afraid of the sin. Because we can, we can be easily drawn into that which dis- displeases God. And so when Jude writes this, have mercy on some with fear, it, it means that we have to be careful. And, and realize that there is compassion in here. So don't miss this because it says, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. It's the idea of, I need to love you, have compassion on you, have mercy on you, but I don't have to like what you do. In fact, Scripture is telling me to hate what you do, but love you anyways. And it doesn't mean because I hate what you do that I need to push you across the room or out of the room. It means that I need to love you with a compassion that says, you come in, allow God to work in your life, and I am right here to help you. But I will not participate in what you do. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. We have to have a correct view of sin and understand that it is, it is dangerous. It is drawing. It's, it's like a, a cliff and it has consequences. And we, ab- we extend mercy to the person, but ab- abhor the action. And I told you at the beginning we were going to exercise part of our vision statement. That, that idea of finding your place by connecting with others, to build your faith by connecting with God, and then make a difference by connecting with the world around you. How in the world do you have compassion and mercy and contend for the faith apart from community? It's virtually impossible. How do you do it apart from a relationship with God? It is impossible. Look what it says in the last two verses of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Victory in this whole idea of contending for the faith does not happen because we have the strength to do it. Contending for the faith means we rely on the Holy Spirit in our lives. God has placed the Holy Spirit in us if we have accepted Christ as our Savior. And He's the one that empowers us to do what God has called us to do. 
So if it means walking into dangerous places, or if it means walking into a place that is wide open accepting, we still rely on the Holy Spirit. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in His presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. Um, there is nothing greater than to be at the end of life and looking at this and saying, I'm going to stand before my Savior, and because of who I am in Christ, I can stand in confidence, understanding what God has already done for me. Are you in that place? Can you stand before God in confidence because of what Jesus has done in your life? Or are you in here and not sure that if you stood before God, you'd know, you'd know what to say or how to respond to a holy God? This morning, you may be in here and saying, I'm not sure about this whole relationship with God thing, but I have questions. I'll tell you, when we dismiss from here, we're going to go back to the fellowship hall, and I will be there, and there will be others that can share what a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. And they can help you and answer questions about how to come to Christ. If you say, I already know how to, and I want to commit my life to Him this morning, I'll be at the front in just a moment, and you can come down and say, I want to accept Christ. And we will pair you up with somebody that can, that can talk you through that and pray with you so that you can be sure when you walk out the doors of this church that your life is set, that your eternal life is set. You may be in here and say, you know, my faith is, is I, don't know that I'm, I don't know that I'm all in. I think I've been more like this medium box. I'm not the small box. I'm really not causing disgruntledness. But I'm more like this medium box. I've been watching from the sidelines for a while. But if you were to ask me if I'm all in in my relationship to God and relationship to His church, I'd be more like this. I'd be more like that medium box. And today may be a day where you come and you pray at the altar or come and say, hey, I need to be all in and I'm recommitting my life to doing what God has asked me to do. And so we're going to pray. And as we, as we consider what Jude has laid before us this morning, and we realize that, it, that victory only comes through Jesus Christ, then it causes us to say, what's next? In Fellowship Hall, we're going, to, we're going to go back there, and there's some mission displays out there. And so we're going to get out early today from this room. But there will be bouncers in front of the doors. And we got our biggest guys. They're going, to be, they're going to be, no, really, want you to go back to Fellowship Hall and check out where we've been and then where we're going as far as the church missionally um, through our missions and outreach team has set up displays back there. I want to encourage you to go back there. And it doesn't have to be, you know, an hour and a half, but I want to encourage you to go back and spend a little bit of time looking through those displays because that may be the answer to what's next for you in contending for the faith. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for our weekly worship service.